What's up, Batty Bees? I'm Brianna, mom, wife, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Badass Basic Bitch podcast. Each week, I sit down with a seemingly ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things, and I get to share her story with you. So let's go. Buckle up as we're going to get real and dive into the shit nobody talks about. Welcome to the Batty Bee Club. When you're learning how to ride a bike, you may have training wheels. You may be a little wobbly. You may need a little push, right? And then all of a sudden with the training, your body gets used to training. You just, somehow your brain just kind of knows what to do because it wants that screen to stay big and bright. It wants to watch the movie that's playing in front of them. It wants to be the game to go so they can gain more points. Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, Dr. Christy Lewis, a distinguished expert in neuroscience and biofeedback. She has over 27 years of experience, and I've had the pleasure of directly working with Dr. Lewis through my son, AJ. And today we're going to be talking and exploring the world of biofeedback and its impact on our physical, emotional, and mental health as well as share more about our own experience with the BET Center. So thank you so much, Dr. Lewis, for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Very different interaction with me and you. Usually I'm getting updates about AJ or reading out his progress, but I've had such a lovely experience with the BET Center. And I asked Dr. Lewis to be on my podcast and I was so excited that she said yes. Um, So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and the BET Center? Okay, great. So I stumbled upon the whole exciting field of biofeedback way back when, a long, long time ago, when I was in graduate school. So I graduated from UTA, uh, which is the University of Texas in Arlington. They have a social work department. So I graduated from there in 1992. At the time, I was super lucky because... I, there was a a teacher there, a professor named Dr. Colleen Shannon, and she was one of the pioneers in the field of biofeedback, and which I'll explain what all that means there in a minute, but in biofeedback, and I thought, what is that? So she took a, she was teaching a self-regulation course. At the time, I was really young and naive, and I thought, that really sounds like a great blow-off course, (laughs) and it ended up just changing my life. At, at the time, and I still do, I have chronic asthma. And when you have asthma, what comes along with that is anxiety. And so I didn't, I was super poor, didn't have any money at all to even buy medication for myself. And so I thought, well, let me see if this works. And so I was doing some papers and, you know, really focusing on myself and how I could self-regulate myself. And it ended up working. So I was so shocked about how neat it was. And then I was curious. I was like, why isn't everyone using this? And decided right then and there that if I ever open up my private practice, that I would incorporate biofeedback into that. Then you fast forward back over to 1995. And in the middle of all that, I got married. And in 1995, my husband and I were moved to Houston. And I stumbled again upon a wonderful woman named Dr. Nancy White. And she's also a pioneer in the field. So I I just really feel like I just sort of gotten stumbled my way through this, but I kept being drawn to this field of biofeedback and neurofeedback. 
and what Dr. White was doing, who's by the way, she's still alive. She's 88 years old and she still has her clinic in Houston. She's, she's amazing. Anyways, uh, I worked for her for about five years. I kind of helped her run the clinic kind of the way my lead technician does for me, Jordan. And she introduced neurofeedback to me. So what I did is just collect all the assessment, which is called a quantitative EEG data. And so I did that for her as a technician and we did neurofeedback and then they brought me on to do the biofeedback as well, which neurofeedback's under the umbrella of biofeedback. So I pretty much ran her clinic. In between all that, I worked for psychiatrists and hospital settings and just did all kinds of things. And then my husband and I moved back to Dallas. And for about 10 years when I had young children, I have two adult children now, but uh, 25 and 21. But at the time when they were young, I worked for about 10 years for a consulting group doing career transition consulting and training. So I taught workshops, how to write a resume, how to network, how to market yourself, things like that. And I do still incorporate some of the, that skill set into my current clinic because it's very helpful for young, you know, adults that come in that just need direction. I just don't advertise that I do that because I just use that with my clients. But about 15 years ago, I decided I would get back into the world of the private sector and private practice and, and see what I could do. Way back in 1994, I believe it was, I got my certification in both biofeedback and neurofeedback. And I'd always kept at those certifications because they're really hard to get. You know, there's a very difficult, challenging test, and I didn't want to have to retake that test. <laughs> so I just kept it up. And then uh, 13 years ago, I started the Biofeedback Education and Training Center, and it's still open today. I started off about two days a week. Again, I had children at the time. I was going through some health challenges as well. Not uh, the asthma, but uh, I had I had some cancer stuff that I had to deal with. And also, I have a, a mother who has Alzheimer's disease. So I was kind of dealing with that. So I kind of just like eased into it. And now today, my clinic's been open full time and we are so busy. I've got three offices within one suite. I have four technicians. I have a front desk. So it's still a small clinic, but we're super busy. And then one of the, the arms of our program that, that we developed at the beginning of this year was the neurofeedback remote training, which is what the service that you're receiving. Yeah. And. A little bit of more background on that. I um, heard about the biofeedback, neurofeedback through someone very close to me. They had Tourette's verbal, or not not verbal Tourette's, but like, twi- what's it called? Um, ticks. Ticks. Yeah. Thank you. And he had said, oh, you know, I did this in high school and all of my ticks just went away. You should try it for AJ because at the time we were under the impression through testing that AJ had ADHD. And then I did some research and thought, oh, this might be a good match. We're in Austin. Clearly, there's probably a lot of great doctors here in Austin. And so that's where I started my search. But um, I did not want to. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it right. I want to do it with the person that I think is the best that's going to give me and him the attention that we deserve. And so long story short, I collected a bunch of options through Austin. And I even obviously went all the way out to Dallas and Plano, Texas, where you all are. And Plano, Texas. <laughs> Plano, Texas. 
And I reached out to people who left reviews on Google. And the people who wrote me back immediately and said the best things were the people that wrote your reviews. And so for me, I was like, there's no better confirmation than real life people giving me that confirmation. And so that's why I started narrowing in on the BET Center was because clearly you have very happy clients. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, I get unhappy if my clients are not happy. So I do like to try to provide a service because this is not a cookie cutter treatment approach. You really do have to stay on top of things. You do. Yeah. And you have to be present for your clients. I mean, we're literally talking about their lives here and their livelihood and their quality of life. So we do the best that we can. We try really hard. I had no idea that you did that. You reached out to them. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad that they were all very nice. Well, and the ones in Austin, some of them never wrote me at all. And so for me, I'm like, hey, the people who want to share their story have the most success. And so that's why we narrowed in on you. And it was just great that you offer the remote virtual because that worked out for us. But before we talk about that, I would love for you to give the listeners a little bit more, more information on what is biofeedback and how does it work? Absolutely. And, you know, I was just going to like tag on there before I talk about, you know, the the definition of what biofeedback and how it works is when I was way back when I was doing just the counseling, which I, I, could, I do have to say, counseling is wonderful. Like if anyone's listening and, you know, they're doing counseling and they're getting good effects, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of counseling, you know, if, if it's working. But sometimes, and what I realized is with some of the clients that I was working with, there's a lot of people who come in with pretty severe anxiety. And I realized there was a real physiological change, for example, with anxiety. And so that's when I started like putting two and two together and understanding that sometimes a multimodality approach is necessary, including counseling. And, and that's what was best benefiting my clients. So about 50% of my clients here and in my office setting do kind of this multimodal approach where they're also receiving receiving counseling. So I did want to say that before I go into talking about what biofeedback means. So I'm going to talk about biofeedback and neurofeedback and just offer a definition. So biofeedback, bio means body. So you're getting feedback about your body. So you get biofeedback every day, like in your own home, like when you look in the mirror or take your blood pressure, or if you weigh yourself on a scale, those are forms of biofeedback because they, it monitors people's biology. So back at UTA, we just did some of the traditional biofeedback modalities, and that included skin temperature, skin conductance training, which is sweat gland activity, uh, muscle tension training, which is EMG training, and you can do that in hospital settings as well, like with stroke survivors or people who have severe, like TMJ, for example, you can look at muscle tension. But a new biofeedback modality is called heart rate variability training. And a lot of people can actually look at that on their, their iWatch. If you have an iWatch and you have that health app, you can actually monitor your own HRV. And heart rate variability training is a, a wonderful biofeedback modality that helps people acquire voluntary control over just their emotional regulation and it helps to lower blood pressure or whatever it is. But any kind of biofeedback will do that. 
heart rate variability training is literally the measurement of time in between heart contractions. So from beat to beat. So you're looking at time. So, so the higher that variability of time, the better you feel or the more regulated your body is. The lower mm-hmm. variability, the more dysregulated you feel or maybe the more anxious you feel. So heart rate variability is a wonderful skill to learn and, and acquire and practice over time. I tell people, my clients, it's a life skill. So what it ha- allows you to do is it allows you to attain autonomic flexibility. So a lot of people don't even think about their breathing or what that means, but your autonomic nervous system has two just uh, basic functions. One is your sympathetic nervous system. The other is your parasympathetic. And your vagal nerve or your vagus nerve is the longest nerve in your body and it causes a feeling of calm. So when you're sympathetically aroused, you have anxiety. So what heart rate variability training does, for example, is it allows the individual to self-regulate and tap into their parasympathetic response, which also stimulates the vagus nerve causes that feeling of calm. So you really can better regulate your emotions or improve focus over time. And with practice, you gain this self-awareness and you'll be able to better manage bodily processes that would normally happen involuntarily. Is that through like breath work, for example, that one example you're saying, like, I'm going to watch my heart rate, I'm going to breathe or relax or something? Yeah, it is through breath work, which is the heart rate variability training. What I do is, well, it's a little bit more sophisticated setup, but, you know, we use a respiration belt and a BVP, which monitors blood volume and it's really, really just your heart rate. And I have the individual look at the screen in front of them and do some slow breaths. Ideally, you want to get down to six rhythmic breaths per minute. And then allows the individual to get their respiration and their heart rate in the synchrony. And then they'll experience a feeling of calm. And it's really quite profound sometimes because some people are chest breathers or they're just completely unaware of doing a belly or diaphragmatic breathing. And they don't understand how they can actually, you know, manage or control how they feel. So they can actually manage that themselves. And so for children to learn it, it's really powerful because then they can use that skill the rest of their lives. But remember, it is a learned skill. So you have to practice kind of like learning how to play the piano and practicing that or learning how to get better at a sport. You have to practice it to get better at it. So interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I love it. And then what I do is combine the heart rate variability biofeedback typically with neurofeedback training and neurofeedback training falls under the umbrella of biofeedback and because it is a a biofeedback method but neurofeedback is brainwave training and neurofeedback also is a bit more complicated maybe it's a little bit more difficult to understand for some people but basically it's a tailored software guided treatment which you know you can see with your your remote training at home with aj but it's a treatment approach that helps to regulate brain activity. So the monitoring of the biofeedback mechanisms helps the client enhance or suppress neural oscillations in specific brain regions. 
So if you think about it, we all have billions of neurons in our brain, as many as there are stars in the sky. So specific neurofeedback protocol calls help the client to normalize brainwave patterns so they can boost neuroplasticity or balance the neural state and allow more efficient or effective communication between groups of neurons. That's what neurofeedback is. Um, It helps to improve mood um, and it can help other symptoms that the individual might be experiencing. So it's a really hard thing to explain. So an easier way to understand it might be by using the bicycle analogy. (laughs) And I use this with a lot of my clients because they're like, what? How do my neurons... How can that happen? Um, and and really, it's an operant conditioning method. So it means that you get both a, a negative and a positive reward. That's what operant conditioning is. So literally, the individual who's training their brain waves are are doing this on their own. We're not doing anything to them. We just provide the hardware and the software. So think about it. You were learning how to ride a bike. Do you know how to ride a bike? I do. You do. Do you remember when you rode a bike? Uh, you were probably started with a tricycle or maybe you had some training wheels. Yeah, probably. I just remember crashing into a mailbox. <laughs> well, I hope you didn't hit your head. I, I probably didn't. Thank God. I was wearing a helmet for sure. But, but yeah, most, most people have either a balance bike or, uh, training wheels. Yeah. Okay. So. That's what I tell people. So when you're training, it's a passive allowance. So when you're learning how to ride a bike, you may have training wheels. You may be a little wobbly. You may need a little push, right? And then all of a sudden with the training, your body gets used to training. You just, somehow your brain just kind of knows what to do because it wants that screen to stay big and bright. It wants to watch the movie that's playing in front of them. It wants to be the game to go so they can gain more points. Whatever it is that you're looking at, you want to watch it. Your brain wants to watch it. So over time, you get better and better even at neurofeedback training. So even if you stop the training, like, well, think of your bicycle like in gear. So over time, you get better at the training. So you might be in gear one, go, okay, wait, I got this. I can do this. And then you might get up to gear two. Okay. The training get a little easier. And then suddenly you're, you're five and going, I got this. Boy, I know how to train. I can sit here. I can train. I can make that screen big. And then we can make the threshold a little bit more challenging and really push your brain waves to move in the direction that they need to go. Okay. So over time, you just start to improve. It gets easier. And then even if you stop the training, okay, think about a bicycle. If you haven't been on your bicycle for five years, and you get back on, your body knows how to ride the bicycle, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not wobbly anymore. You already know how to do that. That's exactly how the training is. That's why we say, if you ever need to come back for tune-ups with neurofeedback training, you can come back and you're, you still, your brain's already going to know how to train because you've already done it. Yeah. So I want to, before we talk about who could use this or who do you treat, I want to take a step back and say, before you treat someone like with this training, 
you do brain mapping, like a QEEG, because I know AJ did that. Explain yeah. briefly what the what that is and what the purpose of that is. Yeah. Well, the QEEG is incredibly important. And we've grown to learn that over time. And it helps us to tailor our treatment protocols to directly to, you know, whatever the client is experiencing. So a quantitative EEG it literally compares the person to a normative database. Okay. And so it's kind of like being compared to a group of peak performers and those peak performers are within normal limits. And I'm, I'm saying that in quotations, if you can't see me within normal limits. So if you think of it like a bell curve, like the middle of the bell curves, then we mean. So we're literally looking at an individual's electro physiology. So we're looking at electricity. So sometimes the electricity is excess. So it goes outside that mean you have too much, or sometimes the electricity is deficient. So it goes below that norm normative line. Either way, if your electricity, your electrophysiology, your brainwave activity, if it falls outside the mean, then we can look at where that's located and match the, that dysregulation to symptoms that the individual is experiencing. So and that's what blew my, oh, sorry, keep going. That I was just going to say, that's how we develop our protocols. We have lots of different ways of looking at brainwave activity. We call them montages. And then we have other platforms, other things we can use. And I, I look at mine three different ways. And then one of the ways has three different montages. So there's a lot of different um, ways that I look at it. And I'm mostly looking to see if there is similarities between the three different ways. And then I'm able to make a clinical decision on protocols. So that being said, back in the day, and, and, and when I worked for Dr. White back in the 90s, she was using this method. We didn't have the 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 fancy report writing that would print out as much. She was back there like a mad scientist figuring it out. Wow. And I thought to myself, how does she do that? Like, what is she wow. doing? I didn't understand it at all. But she knew what she was doing. And now what we have are these this way that we can print out a report, which is exactly what I went over with you for AJ. So what the report includes is quite comprehensive. It has like you know, it could be 30 pages, it could be 60 pages, but but I include a bunch of extra pages to offer an education and explanation to my clients. And I just really want my clients to know how I think, how I how, how I came across the, the the protocol decision that I'm making so that, well, twofold, do you feel comfortable with what I'm doing? And so that you can question me and then and then sometimes we can collaborate and go, well, you know, he's acting this way. Do you think that, you know, this should be done first? And then we can collaborate on what's most important. Cause usually there's several different sites on the head that we can mm-hmm. train and then we have to, you know, put them in order of importance. Okay. Yeah. And this is what blew my mind because for anyone that's listening, the QAG, it is how many electrodes are on there's there? 19 different channels. Now, you can get real fancy, like in hospital settings, and it can be doubled. Lots of different electrodes on the head. But we use just, you know, what's normally used as the 1020 system. 
and it's 19 different channels and it does give us a lot of information. Yeah. So it's like a cap that they put on. And Uh what it's doing is it's reading exactly what um, Dr. Lewis was saying. Where are you producing these excess waves? Where are you deficient in the waves? And I think what just blew me out of the water was reading the report when you were talking about, what is it called? The Broadman? The Broadman areas. Those are so, I love talking about the Broadman areas. Like, first of all, at like that's when I was like that's when I turned believer because <laughs> what because you knew nothing about AJ there there was like a small intake but it wasn't like let me tell you about when he was little and do, and let me tell you about how he reacts and all of these things it was very like informative about what's happening right now and why are you interested in this and when Dr. Lewis came back and was like okay here is where he's producing excess and here's what that could look like. And this is what a, what a person it, that produces excess would do. And my mind blew because I was like, are you literally reading my child word for word right now? As the holiday season rolls in, we're all looking forward to the warmth of friends, family, and loved ones. But let's not forget those uninvited guests. I'm talking about bacteria, viruses, dust, pollen, and other airborne nasties. Did you know that we spend about 90% of our time indoors and during the holidays, probably even more? And here's a fact that might surprise you. Indoor air can be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more, according to the EPA. So how do we enjoy the holidays without fretting over the air we breathe? Let me tell you about Air Doctor, the air purifier that's been making waves in major media outlets like CNN, Money, and ABC. Air Doctor is no ordinary air purifier. It filters out a whopping 99.99% of dangerous contaminants ensuring your lungs are spared from allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even those pesky bacteria and viruses. The best part is it makes a great holiday gift for that mother-in-law or spouse that's nearly impossible to shop for. Air Doctor is offering an exclusive Black Friday deal just for our podcast listeners. With promo code BBB23, you can save up to $350 off purifiers, get 20% off filters, and receive a free three-year extended warranty on any purifier in your cart. That's right, immense savings and peace of mind all in one. So don't wait. Head over to airdoctorpro.com, A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use my promo code BBB23 to grab this amazing offer. Breathe easy and make your holidays safer with Air Doctor. Why don't you tell a little bit about the broadband and just give this example of what it is because that QEG is reading that and then there's like this, okay, these areas are excess or or delta and then that's what this means, right? Maybe tell us a little bit yes, about that. I will. Because it, it's really, I love talking about that and it's one of my favorite things to talk about in the report because with my clients, usually a light bulb will go on just like it did with you. And it's an easy way for me to explain it. And then for my client to go, oh, okay, wait, I get this now. 
So Dr. Broadman was a German scientist back in the early 1900s. Brilliant. And what he started doing was labeling functionality of the brain by numbers. Now, it's not perfect. So over time, some of the numbers have merged and with other numbers, but, and I'm sure it's still not perfect, but we're able to look at those areas that are dysregulated and actually apply meaning to the function, to that certain area. And then um, we look at the, the broadband that it's in, you know, uh, with the actual band, the bandwidth that it's in, is it too fast? Is it too slow? And, and we can just say, well, if it's, uh, really fast in these high beta bands, there's probably a, a high incidence of anxiety with this individual. So we can make assumptions based on the dysregulated areas. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, it blew me because I was like, <laughs> You're describing my child without knowing any of this information. I know. You know, it's funny because I have a a mentor. All of us have mentors in our field, or we should. If you don't have a, you know, if you're a practitioner and you do neurofeedback, you should always have a mentor or a mentor group in the field. I have a mentor group in the field, and I do get some very challenging cases. And so those cases, we all present every other um, week, so twice a month. And so we get to listen to each other's cases. There's about six of us in the group. And the the leader of the group is a, a technician, but he helps people all over the world. He's quite famous in our field, in the field of neuroscience. And he does not like to know the background before he reviews mm. the EED. And he just looks at the raw data too. He's not comparing to a normative database or anything. Because the EEG tells us a story. It does. And, you know, sometimes it's really hard to see. Sometimes it's a little easier, but it tells us a story and then it, and then we know where to train. Yeah. Well, and so we didn't really talk about it, but I just want to give some visualization because I remember when I was first learning about this, I was like, I'm so confused. What are you talking about? And then now I'm realizing it. So what happens is you get this initial scan, you understand what areas to focus in, in, and then you're, and I don't know how other groups do it. I can only speak to my own experience, but working with y'all, you give us our equipment, we take it virtually. And then there's like certain areas that you're training with electrodes. So at home, we set them up. I always share it on my stories. So you can probably go into, I think I have a, <laughs> A highlight in there, biofeedback and neurofeedback, so you can always check it out. But what's interesting is it's really targeted. And so what happens is my son is watching a show. It's like one of his favorite shows. And then your piece of software and hardware working together to read when those waves are really excessive or like the, what is it called? I don't want to say band. What What is it called? The waves? The beta waves? The bandwidth. Is it is? Yeah. The bandwidth is... Yeah. yeah, is sorry, is really high. And in order to get it back to a focused area, the screen will dim, the volume dim. And what does my son want to do? Well, he wants to pay attention. And so he focuses and is retraining when the when that happens, is this automatic retrain of like refocus. And that could impact emotional response, focus, handwriting. I mean, so anxiety, whatever. There's so many things. It just depends on what you're training. So I wanted to give that visualization. And that's what Dr. Lewis is talking about riding a bike. 
eventually it gets easier and easier. Your brain's like, oh, I know what to do. Oh, I know what to do. Oh, I know what to do. Because we learn because you're learning. Exactly. Like, and if exactly. you're unable to learn, let's say you have you know, severe dementia, it, it's going to be hard. If you can't remember, if your brain can't remember from session to session, it's going to be hard to do neurofeedback. Now, if, if the dementia is, is mild, yes, you can still learn. So, you know, we can even look at that and kind of determine, okay, is this individual going to be a good candidate? I have turned people away for neurofeedback. Yeah. But if well, you're talk- going to learn, then you're going to benefit. You'll benefit yeah. from the neurofeedback. Well, let's talk about that, that next. So that's a good segue into it. Yeah. So let's talk about examples of who to help or who you normally see, whether it's ADHD, anxiety, pain management, I don't know, whatever you want to, whatever you guys commonly Absolutely. see. Well, I see, oh my goodness, you know, typically when people get to my clinic, they're at the end of the road. They've tried everything that they can possibly try and they don't know where else to turn. Luckily now, I think some of the neurologists are catching on. I get a lot of referrals, you know, from, mm-hmm. you know, friends and friends and family. They kind of refer each other. But basically, I, I work with a, a wide age range. Okay. But I also work with just a wide range of, of problems, I guess you would say. So. Most, the bulk of my clients have anxiety and or ADHD. I have a fair amount of autism right now, which I could talk for a whole hour on. It's been very interesting. And I have pain management. I have every so often I'll get TBIs and typically that TBI is a traumatic brain injury. It's usually it's mild and I have to get the referral from a neurologist for those. And oh, insomnia. Sleep is a huge one. And so I wanted to make sure I get a plug in for insomnia because we're doing a lot of really great work around insomnia. Both Jordan and I are have extensive training in CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. So that's counseling. All right. But it's only, you know, we only talk about insomnia or we give a sleep prescription after they, you know, fill out a log and they have to, you know, meet every two weeks. Anyway, it's pretty much the, first line of treatment for insomnia. But what we do is combine it with neurofeedback. So we call it a neurocognitive approach. And my daughter and I, who my daughter's involved in all of this, she and I developed a PowerPoint for insomnia and how to treat it and helping other practitioners. And it's just, it was a big hit. So we know a lot about insomnia and how to treat insomnia. So I get like just a whole array of, and, and then we can see, look at the biomarkers. So for ADHD, for example, on an EEG, the biomarkers would be a typical biomarker. Okay. There's all, there's like seven different types of ADHD, but a typical biomarker is you have an increase of slow wave activity, deficient fast wave activity. That's typical. Mm. Now, some people for ADHD can have an increase in slow wave activity, but also an increase in fast wave activity, which would add the anxiety component. Okay. A biomarker for insomnia, for example, would at the top of the head, very, very top of the head, 
we can see some kind of slow vertex waves, vertex waves, which are these slow kind of like upside down V waves intermixed with these fast spindly beta waves. Okay. That's the insomnia. So we can help slow that down or the individual can slow that down themselves using neurofeedback training. I mean, it's really just very exciting because we get to watch these people improve and they're so, you know, excited about that. Now, I just want to say one thing about sleep. Sleep is a very difficult thing to treat because it can get quite complicated. So if I have an individual come in and they have sleep apnea and it's untreated, guess what? Gotta treat that first. Gotta treat that first. And so <laughs> we have to be very careful. So I ask everyone, you know, do you have sleep apnea? Do you have a history of sleep apnea? Oh yeah, I have sleep apnea and you know, I, I'm supposed to be using the CPAP machine every night, but I don't really use it. I don't like it. And I say, well, I'm not going to be able to help you with neurofeedback because we can do both. As long as the apnea is getting treated, then we can help. But if it's not, then they're wasting their time. So, you know, it, it's just good for people to know that because, you know, this is, you know, it, it's time consuming. You know, you, you spend time, you spend money. And, and you want it to work. So we say all of those things up front so that they're not wasting their time. They need to take care of stuff first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me and AJ, I asked him if I could share this and he said yes. AJ is very smart. He scores really high in all of the map tests, star tests, tests at school. He's just very, very smart kid. But in in second grade, we started hearing the focus problem. And then in third grade, it was a huge problem. And then towards the the first half of the th- of third grade, it was like, okay, we got to put him on a plan. We got to do this. You got to go get him tested. You're going to like, it was, it just felt very one pathway of your, we think your kid has ADHD, go to a professional and get tested. And we went to a, like a professional testing facility in Austin. It was like four hours long. The test person called me in the middle of it and was like, he's just, he's just crying. Like, I don't know. It's just, you know, and I was like, test for a child. (laughs) It it is, but there's a, it, it makes sense. And I'm going to talk about why that, why that makes sense for me because they said, oh, you know, we we think we can say he has ADHD, but ultimately he's really young. And so he's got to come back and get tested. I was getting a lot of pressure, not from school, but I was getting a lot of pressure. Put him on medicine, put him on medicine, put him on medicine. And I was just like, I, not that I don't believe medicine. I think that it's your decision as a parent. And if you think that's best for your child, then you should do that. But for me, I I, I have this personality trait for me that I say, no matter what, I know that I tried everything I could and I, I need to rest my head saying I tried everything I could before I do something, before I go to medicine, before I get divorced, whatever it is. I just, I've done everything. And so that's where I started researching this, came to you guys, did the main I- initial testing and consults and everything in the EEG. And then when you sat down and you said something along the lines of like, 
I'm not really seeing the biomarkers, some of the biomarkers for ADHD, but I am seeing anxiety and that anxiety never even crossed my mind. And then you started rattling off all of the reasons why. And I was like, you're describing my child. And then I started to reflect and look back at that testing, for example. Well, he was crying because a cat came on the screen. And he thought about his cat that's like 17 years old. And then he couldn't stop thinking about his cat dying and what would happen if his cat died. And I'm like, that's anxiety, you know? Just the other day, I had a chance to help a close friend move her business over to Shopify. She was struggling with her old platform. It was clunky, limiting, and just not cutting it. But let me tell you, the transformation after switching to Shopify is absolutely incredible. It was like watching a plant finally getting the right sunlight. Her business started thriving almost overnight. Shopify is such a game changer. It's the global commerce platform that's there for you in every single stage of your business journey. Whether you're just launching your online shop, opening your first physical store, or celebrating that millionth order. So Shopify is the backbone you need. Whether my friend was selling her handcrafted jewelry or I'm marketing our podcast merchandise, Shopify makes selling effortless everywhere. Their all-in-one e-commerce platform combined with an intuitive in-person POS system ensures you're always ready for business. And here's the kicker. Shopify's checkout converts browsers into buyers way better than other platforms, up to 36% better. Plus, Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star, makes selling more with less effort a reality. From my friend's experience, I saw firsthand how Shopify can turn struggles into breakthroughs. It's amazing to see how businesses reach new levels, and Shopify plays a huge role in that growth. They power 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and support countless entrepreneurs worldwide. And for those moments when you need a little extra help, Shopify's extensive resources are there to guide you. So whether you're just starting out or scaling up, Shopify has your back. So are you ready to join the ranks of successful Shopify entrepreneurs? Sign up for $1 per month trial, period, at shopify.com slash BBB. That's all lowercase, shopify.com slash BBB to begin your business growth journey, no matter what stage you're at. I thought that was really fascinating because I, it made me question like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that, but it makes so much sense. And when I look back and see how he's reacted since one years old to social situations in school, in everything, his emotional response, everything. And I just said, I think, you know, it's actually anxiety and it's presenting itself or it's causing this inability to focus and sit still and people are seeing ADHD. That common where you're seeing like this uptick. You're describing at least half of my kiddos that I treat in my clinic, in my clinic. Yeah. And I, I love that you, you, you talked about that, about medication. So, you know, I just, I wanted to say that most of my clients, like yourself, have, you know, gone down that rabbit hole. You're educating yourself. You're knowledgeable about biological health and wellness. And you know that you want to try this before, you know, you, you go the medication route. And I will say this, a lot of times medication does help. I mean, and I'm not anti-medicine. I'm not. But there are some 
um, individuals who don't respond well to medication. Mm-hmm. And, and we call those refractory cases, or that's what, you know, physicians call those patients refractory cases. They're not responding well to medications. Remember, drugs have an immediate response. That's why people like to go to the drugs. They, they want that immediate effect. But because sometimes people don't respond well, then they need to think of, okay, what else can I do? And, and I hate it because people get so frustrated and they lose hope. And there's always hope. You know, no matter what, there's hope. There's, there's something we can do, not only just changing our diet, and, and our routine and, you know, you know, getting sunlight in the morning, for example, to help sleep or, you know, there's things you can do to help with focus and concentration and attention. And I probably most listeners know that. And if they don't, they can just Google it. And it's very easy to, to kind of yeah. figure out some of the things you can do. But the, the neurofeedback, even though it's, it's slow, it has long lasting results. So it's not an immediate effect. But you, you do have to be patient with it and and trust the process. Just like as you saw, I'll bet you when you're watching AJ train, you can see his brain waves start to shift and change right away, right when you turn it on. Those are the oscillations yeah. just responding to the training and and then the parameters that we've set or the thresholds that we've set. So I, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions you know, yeah. about, about neurofeedback or really just about thinking that there's nothing that you can do. Uh, you know, you think that that's the end all. And when you take medication, you can't take a medication forever. Yeah. You know, at some point it's got to stop. So, yeah. And that's one of the big reasons why we came here was because I said, look, if, if he does have these issues, like He's got to, he, we have to teach him and give him all the tools possible before we go to anything like medication because, you know, medication, in my opinion, for this uh, is a way to not see the root issues that are, that could potentially still be happening. And so if he gets older and he decides to come off of that, then we've missed 10 years of opportunity for teaching him tools and tricks that he can use it but but also but if we teach him now and then down the road he says okay this is really causing me issue and we agree that this is the best step forward well then he's got all these tools and tricks still that we've that we've taught him and that medication will will help that and here's the last thing i'll say (laughs) i i personally think anxiety makes way more sense to AJ. And when he's old enough, we'll go to another professional and get tested for both because at the age of nine or eight, it's really just so young to see. It's really so young to confirm. And so I said, okay, we'll do another test down the road when we're, when we're able to, to do that. I listened to, we do, we do subsequent QEGs. And so I don't know if I mentioned that, but we do you know, a second cue, a third cue, a That's third, right. you know, fourth cue. And we compare and contrast to the initial one so that you can see the the actual changes that have taken place and, and what else there is to train. I mean, we call it, you know, you assess, you address, you reassess, you address. I mean, it's a cycle um, yeah. because it will change. 
Yeah. And, and I've noticed that with AJ too. We had our, like our first check-in where we did another test and seeing the difference was really mind-blowing. But also seeing the dis- difference of being like, here are the things that you should be noticing changing. And I'm like, oh, I'm noticing even more than that change. But the last thing I'll say about medication is... Something that I learned, I love Huberman Labs, and there's a whole, he does a whole thing about ADHD, and he takes a very unbiased approach, pro, con, everything. It's just, here's information, do what you want with it. So I really like listening to him. But something that he said really woke me up was that if you are misdiagnosed with ADHD and you're taking medication like that are a stimulant for ADHD, that you actually have something like anxiety, for example, that taking that medicine could actually cause you to go to psychosis or have really long-term lasting effects for you. And so it's just nice to know. You're that, so right. I'm so glad that you yeah. said because quite often I'll get individuals that come in and they say, well, this medication, I feel like I took it, but it's making it worse. So I'll talk with the psychiatrist or the neurologist and say, well, um, the medication that you're taking, this classification of dread causes an increase in beta, for example, but this person already has really fast high beta. So it, it's causing it to go faster, even faster. And then look yeah. at that anxiety is getting worse. For example, it, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. So those are those refractory cases that I'm talking about that don't respond well in medicine is because the medicine, well, one of the reasons is because the medicine is actually influencing their brainwave patterns and, and yeah. it, in, in a way that they don't need to be. And when medications work, they're influencing their brainwave patterns in a way they need to be influencing them. So, yeah, and that's a great point because AJ, he had excessive beta waves, like, like off the chip charts in some sections. And when I listened to Humor in Labs, I was like, God, imagine if I gave him medicine that increased those beta waves, what he would be like. You know? Yeah. And you know, something, um, something that you said it triggered my, I, I wanted to just say this about, uh, ADHD. There's so many stigmas surrounding ADHD. My goodness, it ends with the word disorder. And yeah. I don't like it at all because I get these sweet quote ADHD kids that come into my office and they're just beaten down because they just don't fit in the box that yeah. the school system is you know wanting them to learn and they, they have a different way of learning my plug-in here is most of my adhd kiddos are highly intelligent and they've been beaten down and so their confidence is broken and so what the neurofeedback and the biofeedback does is it allows them to increase their self-awareness and thus their confidence goes up. Their self-esteem yes. goes up. They just feel better about themselves. And I talk to them about saying, hey, you know, some of these, your, your brain's going to start operating more efficiently. You're already smart. Your intelligence is already there. This has nothing to do with how smart you are. You're already smart. Your brain's just going to start working more efficiently. Yeah. That's what the brainwave training does. And then they're like, oh, and then I'll show them the pictures and they think, oh, wow, I've been doing all this work on training my brain. I feel so much better now. So I just wanted to make that plug. I just really do think there's a negative stigma surrounding ADHD. And I I think that that word needs to get out, that there is something that you can do about it. And, you know, I think we need to squash that stigma. Yeah. And explore it. If your school or someone's telling you your child might have ADHD, explore other options. 
because yeah. they're talking, you know, we're talking about this crazy increased rise in ADHD. Yeah. And, but to me, I'm like, wow, look at me. My, my, my kid was actually anxiety and think about how school has changed. Sit down, oh. take the test, take this test, take this test, do well on this test, sit down, take the test. 20 minutes of recess, I, how sit about down. Kiddos, how about kids with learning disabilities? That's yeah. another stigma. They think that, or not they, you know, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, but if you, you've been labeled with a learning disability, well, the message is, is that you don't learn as well, or maybe yeah. you know, you're not as bright as the other kids, right? Well, both of my children have a learning disability and it's, it's a, but it's a reading, which they was passed on there. Anyway, it kind of runs in our family. And so my son, for example, this is such a great example. He is a, a business. He's a senior at Texas Tech University. He's a business finance major. He's doing amazing. He wants to go maybe into his master's program. We'll see. And when he was, I'll never forget this. When he was in grade, his teacher said, uh, recommended him for regular math, regulars math. And so I had to advocate for him. She thought he was cheating because he was skipping steps on the paper. Well, guess what? He has dysgraphia. And one of the things with dysgraphia is you start computing the math in your mind. And so he was doing all that work in his brain and then coming up with the answer. They couldn't figure out how he was getting the answer. And I said, he is not cheating. He's always done the math in his head. And so I had to advocate for my child. He got into uh, sixth grade in honors math. He did so well. He ended up being the tutor. For all the other kids. Yeah. And then, I mean, I'm telling you, if I had not advocated for him, he would have been yeah. in regular math. He would have been bored and then he would have gotten lost in the system. So yeah. I think it's very important to understand that even with a learning disability, whether it be reading, there are a ton of physicians and scientists out there that are terrible spellers because they're so good at math and science. They're not good at the other. So, so. Just because you have a learning disability doesn't mean you have an intellectual disability. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. I I guess we can go to the next part of the misconceptions or myths about biofeedback, neurofeedback. What are some of them? There are a lot of misconceptions about bio-neurofeedback. The main point I wanted to make is there's not a placebo effect. Biofeedback and neurofeedback is long-lasting. I did a lot of research into the field to determine optimal standards of equipment and software. And so you have to do your research and just get with a practitioner who's been in the field, who who knows what they're doing. There are some devices out there that are suboptimal and don't deliver the same efficacy. So it's just kind of like buying a car. You know, you have to do your research to see what cars are best. It's the same thing with our field. So I think that's a a common misconception. And just to remember that this is a holistic therapy. Remember that holistic therapies are not immediate. They're insidious. That means they're gradual. They're subtle. Yeah. They improve over time. So we build progress over time. And I think those are the main misconceptions about my field. Yeah. I, I think that first one is huge. Just because someone says they do neurofeedback doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, 
do you want a Hyundai or a Mercedes? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> used car. It doesn't, they're not equal cars. They're different experiences. And gee, sometimes they're the same price. And so I think if you're interested in this, really do the research. I would love to hear from you first, though. If someone's listening, you'd be like, I really want to do that for me or my kid or my husband or my spouse. Mm -hmm. Like who qualifies for this or who do you recommend to do this? I honestly, anyone can do this. Even a peak perform, if you just want to do a peak performance, even a peak performer can do neurofeedback training and biofeedback training. I say there's a smaller percentage that I wouldn't recommend. And that is if you have a metabolic issue or I like if you have a sleep apnea issue or, or some other kind of sleep disorder that requires medication, I wouldn't recommend it. A metabolic, what I mean by that is if you have, say, a thyroid disorder and you're really fatigued, for example, and you think that neurofeedback will help, well, it won't. So you need to get the metabolic issue taken care of first, and then the neurofeedback can help. Um, the only other time that it won't work is if you have severe you know, memory impairment. So... You have to be really careful with that as well. So as long as you can learn, neurofeedback will help, okay? So I'd recommend, honestly, anyone, you know, to yeah. to get the training. It, it, it would benefit anyone. And, and most what of about us, age? Most of us like are walking minimum. around with some dysregulated brain activity <sighs> anyway. <laughs> I start I off. I definitely am all the time. Oh, We're all dysregulated. Okay. I'm next. I'm going to be next. No, uh, I want to do my daughter next. It's actually. I, I tell you that I, once after the kids go through, I do get a lot of parents who come through my program and they love it too. And even with the remote, a lot of times they'll do both, like the mom and the child would do the remote mm. together. That's always good to, to do too. So, what was your question? You just said some age. Age. Okay. Age. At my clinic, we started about age eight, eight ish. I prefer like eight or nine. And uh, yeah. really, there's no cutoff for age. I mean, I've worked as, as old as 92, age 92. Wow. Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And I've worked with geriatrics a lot. So, I'm, I'm comfortable with the geriatric population. Usually, you know, as they get older, the anxiety gets worse. And if they're still able to learn, I can help them. But most of my clients are going to be young adults. I have a, a huge teenage young adults. I have, you know, a fair amount of adults in their 40s and 50s as well. Got it. And the reason for eight is because of brain development or behavioral development or just sitting brain. still. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I didn't even cover that, but we can, my clinic, we, we're not really set up for really young, uh, very young children. I mean, here and there, I'll work with a six year old. You can train as young as three or four. So wow. but my clinic does not, but there are a lot of wonderful practitioners out there who, who will, who can do that. Got it. Yeah. And what about the future? What's the future of biofeedback and applied neuroscience? Oh, okay. There's some really exciting stuff going on in the field of neurofeedback okay. and neuroscience. An emerging trend right now is working with traumatic brain injury. It's very mm -hmm. exciting. 
So uh, TBIs, we're noticing a lot of very promising positive effects from doing neurofeedback training. We can even see the damaged areas from the TBI, from a quantitative EEG, or really just looking at raw EEG. There's some testing that, that can be done not only with TBI, but really for everyone. It's a performance-based computerized neurological testing, and it can test, gosh, motor movement. It can test spatial assessment, memory processing speeds, cognitive processing, things like that. And so you can do like a pre-test and a post-test that can be very helpful with TBI. There's some specialized testing for TBI only. So it's very exciting, very promising. We don't have that yet in our clinic. I have had TBIs, folks who have been referred to me, but usually they're referred to me to help with anxiety or sleep. Mm. Yeah. And then for anyone listening, how how can they connect with you or the BET Center to learn more about the services that you guys offer or consult, like consultative services or anything? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have a website. It's center.org and it's B as in biofeedback, E-T as in treatment. <laughs> so the bedcenter.org. And our phone number is 972-596-0071. And we're open Monday through Thursday, typically. So we have Fridays open for remote training only. The website does explain the remote training, and which is just an arm of our program that has really taken off since COVID. And yeah. We've noticed a lot, gosh, post-COVID, people have been worse, you know, with anxiety or lack of personal connectivity. I don't know. It's just really caused some problems. So the remotes take it off post-COVID because people like to train at home and it just, it's working. So much more convenient. (laughs) And then I ask this question on every single uh, interview that I do. If you could have anyone listen and get one piece of advice from this episode, what would it be? I have a great piece of advice and I don't even think that we mentioned that I'll say it like at the end of, of, you know, this, what I'm going to say is remember that neurofeedback is non-invasive. So it's a non-invasive approach and it has, it does have long lasting results. It, I just wanted to mention it works best in a setting with a trained practitioner that can tailor training protocols based on the individual's unique QEEG. So that being said, look for a practitioner in your area that's licensed and or has their board certification in either neurofeedback or biofeedback through BCIA. And so I have not mentioned that, but I do need to make that plug in. BCIA stands for Biofeedback Certification International Alliance. And then to get your certification, you have to go through them. They've been around since, I think, 1981. So they've been around for a very long time. It's international. And they have a tab that allows you to search for a practitioner in your area. So you just type in your zip code. And and then you can go to a practitioner in your area. And you can see, like, I'm not sure if you can see the but. but like I'm a mentor, you know, through BCIA and there's a lot of us that are, there's a lot of really wonderful, competent, trained practitioners all over the world. And so it's important to know that about BCIA and that you just go to BCIA.org. That is such good advice. I love that. 
Well, Dr. Luce, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciated you. And I hope everyone listening has gotten some good value out of today. Yeah, thank you very much. It was so much fun. always thank you for listening check us out on instagram at badass basic bitch and thank you to saw and sign our production studio we'll see you next week